Well, we're talking tonight, um, we're continuing the theme of really the Word of God. I know how this sounds so basic, but I'm convinced that people are losing a sense of what it means to take the promises of God and understand how to how to find out what's inside of them. They're, they're the greatest packages, they're the greatest presents, they're the greatest gifts. And um, as we read the Bible, we, can, we obviously know that the Bible gives us history. It gives us a, a story of what happened. The Bible isn't based on something that happened in a galaxy far, far away in a long time ago, something like that. It's grounded in history. In fact, uh, in the coming days, they're going to open up this Bible museum, which is going to be a world beyond world-class exhibit uh, that is really people from all over the world are coming to realize the history of the Bible, and, the, and, and not only the history of the Bible, but how the Bible has shaped the modern world. Every good thing we think we, we have, really, if you trace it back, whether it's human rights, justice, marriage, morality, all of these things that we could list and litanize about our culture, and you think, well, where did it come from? These truths that we call self-evident truths, it's obvious once you give an answer to somebody, then, it's, uh, then we think, oh, we knew that. But what we call a self-evident truth today, because it's so common, it's common sense or commonplace, uh, would not have been so 2,000 years ago. Truth itself would have not been uh, understandable, or, or, or truth would not have been what you and I assume it is today. 2,000 years ago, a, a Roman leader could pronounce Jesus innocent and yet go on to crucify him. So wait a minute, didn't he know that Jesus had a right to life, or a right to a fair trial? How, can you, how could you have such an inequitous system, yet truth 2,000 years ago just came down to what the, the leader said it was? It had nothing to do with what your objective uh, position was. It's whatever the ruler. Just like if you're in North Korea today, truth is whatever Kim Jong-un says it is. But all of these things come from Scripture. And so now we come to a place of not only discovering history. Uh, obviously, the Bible has poetry. It has, it, has a, uh, it has wisdom. You know, we wish we could get into a time machine sometimes and go into the future and see what the future holds, but really the Bible is the time machine. It takes you into the future and shows you what the consequences of your actions will be. You don't have to leave here physically. The Bible takes you into the future and says, if you live this way, this will be the end. The good news is, is that you not only can go into the future by the scripture and see the, the end of a thing, but you can come back and make the correct decisions right now how to, to make sure that that future does not end up calamitous, but ends up in the best possible place. And then there are commands in the Bible. The Bible gives us commands. You know, I, it's, it's always interesting when I hear people saying things like, you know, well, I, the Christianity is not rules. Like somehow these rules, all the rules. It's like, well, wait a minute, there are some good rules. You know that rule that says, you know, don't drink the poison, you know, like the, or, or don't go off of a cliff. A sign that tells you, you know, danger, big drop off, you know, that's a good rule. You know, the rules that's, that let you know something can kill you is a good rule. And the commandments of God are good rules. They warn us of danger. They tell us, don't do that. There are consequences to that. 
But not only is there history and poetry and wisdom and commands, but the Bible has promises. And we're going to talk about the promises. That doesn't mean that the commands, and we'll mention some of that, and doesn't mean the history. All of these things are important, but there's something about the promises that I want us to understand because it is in those promises that uh, this life is possible. Just the rules itself, just the commands themselves will not bring us in to a place uh, of what Jesus promised. I mean, he made a promise right off the bat that I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly. Now that's a promise. Did you hear what I said? This massive multitude that's here tonight, we're not showing the cameras to let you see the throng that's here. I mean, people hanging from the rafters. Yeah, there is something hanging from the rafters. We'll clean that up later. Um, no, the, the, it doesn't matter who's here because the promise for you is that there is abundant life. So whenever I come to a place of saying, you know, what's going on here? Why am I not experiencing this? Then I have to find out what I need to do to change some things because there is a promise of abundant life. And I want that abundant life. He's promised us heaven. He, that means is that when something happens here, just like on a week ago, I did a, a funeral before I went to, to Chile. I did a funeral in Dallas of a relative. And you know, when that casket goes into the ground and you see people that have watched, you know, death on television and movies, and it doesn't seem very real. And yet when you have a coffin going into the ground, uh, reality sets in to people that have never been that close to death. And what, a, what, what, a, what comfort it is to stand there in front of people and give a real hope that there is a promise of something beyond this life. This isn't the end. This isn't just, well, let's just throw them in a, in a ditch and move on. They're just nothing more than another animal. No, there's a promise that not only is there an eternity beyond us, but that we are created in God's image and have been called to have a relationship with him, which now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. That's a promise. It's a promise that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I don't know about you, but I hold on to that promise all the time. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I will not fear. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. On and on the promises go. You know, the nation of Israel existed in, in bondage, holding on to just a promise of deliverance. They didn't know who the deliverer was. They didn't understand when it would come. And to them, just the drudgery and the, and, and the darkness of, of being enslaved just every year after year made that promise dim. But yet they held on to a promise. Prophets spoke of a, of a Messiah that would come. And so not only was there the deliverance from physical bondage in Egypt, but then there was this promise of a Messiah. There was a promise of a Messiah and they held on to that. There was a promised land that they were told they would have, and they had to hold on to that. And even when they got into the land, they had to keep holding on, even as they are today, that somehow that promise is not void, that there is still a God that backs up those promises. And so on and on it goes that people who have picked up this Bible and read these promises and looked out and said, well, where is this? What happened to this? And in generations that have gone by, it were people in, that when they looked around and saw that there was desolation, they held these promises before God and God visited generations because somebody held on to a promise and reminded them of his promise. 
I mean, I go back in history and look and say, wait a minute, there was, historically, there were just a few people that, uh, like Noah in his generation, the Bible says Noah was the only righteous man on the face of the earth. So Noah lived, you're talking about being alone or feeling alone, he was literally that. Even his own family wasn't too sure about it. And then he held on to a promise that he had. And you go down to Abraham having a promise of having a child and looking at his wife and she being old and it looking like impossible, like an impossible promise. It says, yet with respect to the promise, Abraham in hope against hope believed. In other words, in hope against hope. Abraham had hope against him, meaning that it looked like in the natural sense, there was no hope. That's what it means when hope is against you. You know, if your doctor tells you it's going to be okay, you get a little hope. And so then it's easier to kind of, you know, say, well, yeah, I kind of feel some spiritual hope too. But when natural hope is against you, that's where you better have a source of hope greater than what a doctor or what an MRI or what anybody else can tell you. You have to have a source of hope that's spiritual, that's beyond what you can see. I don't know about you, but many times I've been with hope against me. And I've had to go back to this book and find and, and, and remember and remind myself, no, no, look at, look at what he said and, and, and create hope in my own soul based on these promises. But now we have a, a great advantage because there's a lot of us. There's a lot of believers today. We're living in a world where, there's, where, there's, where there are nations that are awakening to God. And so there's never been more reason to hope. And yet at the same time, there's this, there's, this un, uh, there's this unnatural type of, or just almost inexplicable despair everywhere I go. Whereas we, we think somehow that in spite of the growth of Christianity and nations that have literally, uh, you know, nations that have experienced revivals, I could go down the list and talk about nations that are experiencing massive growth and massive awakening. And even in our own nation, there's some good signs, but yet in spite of that, there's a despair. And so we want to go after that. That's what we're here for. That's what the church is here for. The church is a place where you know you can go. I mean, this isn't, the, this isn't the grocery store, the mall. If you ask yourself, where would I be able to go to find hope? This is the place. This is why Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Anyone, anytime somebody wants to dismiss or diminish the need of the church, they're going to dismiss the very place where hope and faith uh, are sourced. This is where it's found. It's his body. It's, his, it's the fullness of him, as it says in Ephesians, that fills all things. And so as we come into this moment tonight and as we build this over the next few nights, I want to go back and remind ourselves that we got to the place we are. We came to this place because of these promises. We would not be in this building. You would not be where you are. All of what we've experienced is because of these promises. And so we want to go back to these promises and, and look at them. Um, Ephesians 2, last night we read it. I want you to put it back up. Ephesians 2.12 says that we, at one time, were ignorant to the promises of God. And so it's important to remind ourselves of what they are. There is no replacement for just reading the book. Read the Bible. uh, and, and, And do it from a place of almost as if you haven't read it before. Sometimes I'll go buy a brand new Bible just to trick myself into acting like this is the first time I've read it. 
and discover things again. It's like, you know, it's like giving your, you know, hiding your own Easter eggs and discovering them. But you go back and say, wait a minute, I, yes, oh yes, remember, remember that verse and remember this and remember when I read this or remember when someone preached that. I remember when somebody began to tell me about the promises of God, that there were promises. There was a promise of the Holy Spirit. I remember that I, I, I mean, I, I remember reading in the book of Acts about being baptized in the Spirit and and speaking with other tongues and thinking to myself, boy, if that ever happened to me, I wouldn't, I mean, I just, to me, I, in my brain, I just thought that there's no way anything like that could happen to me. And I came into a church service and people began to talk about that that experience that happened in the Bible could be received today. And that happened to me in a church meeting. Someone laid hands on me and the power of the Holy Spirit came on me. That was a promise that up to that point I had been fairly ignorant of, and when I began to hear about it, something happened. As I heard about it, I got faith that it could be for me. If I had never heard about it, then just like salvation, if you don't hear about salvation, then, you'll, then it'll never happen. How can they hear? How can they believe unless they've heard? And how can they hear without somebody telling them? So this sounds basic. But this is, this, is where we're, this is what we've come to. We've come back to the basics of saying we've got to read our Bible. We've got to rediscover these promises. We've got to talk to one another about them. We've got to tell other people about them. I've walked into hospitals where people didn't know there was a promise of healing and told them about the promise of healing. I've heard stories of, of doctors that are Christian, but they'll treat people of all, whether they believe or don't believe. In fact, they say to people, look, I'm, gonna, I'm a Christian and, and uh, I'll, I'll pray for you. And if God heals you, I won't charge you. But uh, if you want, I'll just go ahead and treat you with my medical practice. I'll have to charge you. I heard one doctor say, well, man, I, I've never had an unbeliever go, well, shoot, pray. You know, don't charge me, pray. He said, it's usually the people that are Christian that say, oh, go ahead and treat me. In other words, we've learned how to kind of maybe know about a promise, but say, yeah, well, I've had some dis disappointment in that area. I won't even attempt it. In my mind, if the promise of healing is there, then I don't care if I pray for 100 people and only one get healed, one gets healed. At least the one got healed. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let my experience or my own results dictate what I think the promise is going to say or what the promise is. I'm going to go ahead and act on it. Yeah. And many times the promise has come to pass probably in spite of me. Yeah. I've actually had people been healed and it shocked me so bad. It's like I didn't feel anything. There was nothing. I just simply laid my hands out there and something happened. Yeah. Kind of like you're walking across the carpet and you get static cling. And you didn't realize it just like the person you shocked didn't realize it. And something happened. There was a reaction. Listen to this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I just email these verses back to you. So if you just, if, I'm, I'm trusting that the people in the back got these a little late. 2 Corinthians. For the promises, for all the promises of God find their yes in him or in Christ. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God. One translation says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. What does that mean? When you read the promise of God, you say, Jesus, is this for me? He goes, yes. You go, can I trust that verse? He goes, amen. I mean, when Jesus says amen, in Christ, it says in Christ, they are amen. Yes and amen. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says that if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. What does that mean? It means is that when I became a Christian, I didn't think anything other than I just get to go to heaven and get to be forgiven of all the junk I've done. I didn't know that there was a wealth of promises. I had no idea that God had said some things all the way back in, in 4,000 years ago, if you will, to Abraham. God said some things to Abraham that he would do for him and his offspring and basically said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless your children and your offspring after you forever. And then Jesus comes along and grafts us into that family line. And that's why it says, if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. Imagine being, <laughs> imagine being heir uh, of a Rockefeller or a Kennedy or some other name you know of, a, a family line that has, you already know they have great wealth. And somebody digs up on Ancestry.com and, and you find out you're a relative. And you find out that you've been made heir to a promise. Now, do you, does it matter what you feel like versus what the facts are? So if you are an heir of a promise, and I, if I'm you, or as Pastor James likes to say, if it was me, if I was me, that was one of the classic lowisms when Pastor James looked at me and said, look, if I were me, I said, you are you. <laughs> we got to find out what those promises are. Hebrews 8, 6, it says, we've been given, it's Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old uh, the, the old is the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. It has better promises. So that means, I mean, I can look back at the old covenant and think, man, there was miraculous deliverance. There was miracles. There was, you know, signs and wonders and, and provision, but yet the, there was healing. But yet in the new covenant is a better covenant with better promises. But a promise... But it takes a promise to be believed in order to be received. In other words, you and I have to receive it. Boy, this is getting deep, isn't it, Pastor? You got a, a promise believed is a promise received. You have to believe it to receive it. Mark 11, I didn't give you this one, but it says that uh, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you have received them and they will be yours. You see, the promise creates hope, but you have to actually reach out and grab it for it to be yours. Now, for years, I would hear about being saved. I heard about being born again as a college student back my sophomore year, and I shouldn't say for years, probably 18 months, I remember thinking to myself, um, boy, I sure hope this is going to work. I sure hope this could happen to me. Uh, Imagine you asking somebody, are you a Christian? And they say, I hope so. Do you believe you're saved? Well, I hope so. See, hope doesn't save you like that. And as long as a person keeps saying to themselves or saying to others, well, I hope I'm a Christian. Well, I sure hope so. You see, that sounds like, okay, well, maybe that's, they're being humble. No, it, it's at some point you have to reach out into you have to reach into these promises and say, this is mine now. Yeah. I am. I got it. 
And even though your head tells you, well, what about what you thought yesterday or what about what you did last week? And you go, whoa, 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 but, but the promise says this. Now, see, we've learned how to do that. We, we've at least got one promise that we learned how to receive by faith. But see, all the other promises of God are like that. You have to reach out into the future of hope. Faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. So hope builds the blueprint, but you have to reach out into that world of the future and say, okay, now it's mine. So as long as it's going to be something in the future, well, I hope so, then you'll never actually experience it. Look at this in Romans 4. Turn there, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Watch how... Watch how Abraham taught us how to live this way, or he modeled this. It says, for the promise to Abraham, I'll go ahead and I better read this because I'm going I'm to keep waiting on the uh, overhead there, the Romans 4.13. You don't have to get excited. I'll get excited for you. I'm doing good up here. I could feel the help coming here. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. So this isn't about who was born into what lineage or ethnicity or it doesn't matter your ethnicity. This does not come from a, because you're Jewish or because your parents were Christian. This is not through the law. In other words, you cannot legislate this to anybody in terms of them receiving or not receiving. For if the adherents of the law are to be made heirs, faith is null and the promise void. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So God looks at Abraham and says, I have made you something. Help me, Lord. Help them understand this. I've made you something. You see, God speaks of things that are not yet as though they were. God says, you're a father of many nations. And Abraham says, I have no child. He says, okay, so now I'm going to, I've been calling you father of many. I'm now going to call you father of many nations. I'm just going to call you even something greater, which has less, even less corroborating evidence around it. You have nothing, and I'm going to call you a father of many nations. So God spoke and said, I've made you this. It says, in whom he believed, God calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed that he should become the father of many nations. As it has been told, so your offspring shall your offspring be. Here it comes. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Now, this is important. Our bodies are not to be ignored. If you have a symptom of sickness in your body, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to ignore that. You better go check that out. Okay? Not to be afraid, but doesn't matter what our bodies are telling us. That doesn't mean the body or our symptoms have the last word. Okay, thank God for doctors. Thank God for going and getting checkups and signs, whatever. But this is about not looking at our natural limitations and saying this is going to be the way it is, that my body has the last say. Abraham looked at his own body, as good as dead, and it says, but watch this, yet with respect to the promise... 
Yet with respect to the promise, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver, I'm sorry, concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Abraham had to grow in his belief, though he looked at his own situation, he kept looking to the promise. Now he had no Bible like we had. He had a star he could look out, or the stars that God had promised him. He had a sense of God's promise that he had been, that had been made to him. He didn't have the wealth of all that we have in front of us. We have a better covenant, better promises. He couldn't turn and read about what God would do to Moses or what God had done uh, to, 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 through Paul or others. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have the wealth of this in front of him like you and I have. But now we can look at this, and so this is what I'm calling us to. This is a, a sim simple step of saying, with respect to the promise, we're going to consider this more than we consider our circumstances. And this is the, this is the fight of faith. And depending on what you look at the most will probably determine whether you grow strong in faith or you weaken in faith to the point of just discarding and giving up. Giving up hope. Giving up hope. Hebrews 6.12. Turn to Hebrews 6. Or you can look on the screen for this. Hebrews 6.12. It says that we are to not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, the more I read about this, the more I know there are promises, there are promises to inherit. They have to be believed and they take time. Now, most people are going to be too short-sighted and too, I mean, we tap our foot at a microwave, so it's going to be difficult to not get tired of the line we're in. We get too tired in a long drive-through line, well, I'll just, just zip out of the line. It's, it's too long, too long of a wait. Too long of a wait for the process to take place where the promises of God can be inherited. Too many tests, too many things that we go through, too many, too many challenges of just the basic stuff we have to do, like character issues and loving one another and forgiving each other. Because, you know, the problem about these promises, they're little things that can kind of stop you in your tracks from receiving them, like just little disobediences or, or unforgiveness. And all of these things are, are going on to, to snag us and to, to divert us. It says, live with your wife in an understanding way that your prayers may not be hindered. <laughs> My wife loves that verse. Anytime I'm not living with her in an understanding way, she comes to me and says something like, how's your prayer life going? <laughs> yeah. It says... When it says to us that we can speak to a mountain and the mountain will move in Mark eleven twenty three, and then it says in verse 24, whatsoever things you desire when you, play, you, when you pray, believe you receive them and they'll be yours. And we say, praise God. Then you get to verse 25 and it says, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against someone, because, because basically faith doesn't work well in an unforgiving heart. So we wonder why we're 
hearing about these promises but never entering into them. And so there is this, there is this thing called the commands that we come into. There is a sense of that the promises are out there, but yet there's going to have to be something else. There's some, like those commercials that tell you about a, a medicine that'll help you, and then the guy starts talking fast, <laughs> telling you about, you know, side effects may include, you know, and you think by the time you listen to the side effects, I think I'll just keep what I've got. <laughs> but there are some caveats, there are some conditions. There are commands that we're to keep. You see, the blessings of God, it says, if you diligently obey the Lord your God and are careful to do his commands, Deuteronomy, all these blessings will come on you and overtake you. Seek first, Matthew says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. You see, our focus is to be the kingdom in righteousness. His job is to do the adding. He says, if you are diligent in obeying the commands, you don't have to chase the blessing. The blessing will come upon you and overtake you. You ever been overtaken by a blessing, run down by a blessing? You see... But here's something about God's goodness. It's the promises themselves that help you keep the commandments. You see, I didn't realize that the very promises of God had the power to help me keep the commandments. It is explicit about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7, it says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So it's the promises of God, the promises that, that he has chosen us to be holy and blameless, that he has delivered us out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. In other words, I can't, if I sit around and go, uh-oh, I, I, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that, can't do this, can't do that. If I just look at the Christian life based on what I can and cannot do, just knowing the commandments isn't going to be enough power to let me enter into the freedom that I need. It's when I stand up and say, Lord, I thank you for the promise that I'm delivered from that. I'm, I'm, I'm holy and blameless before you. I am not a part of this perverse world. I have been delivered out of the bondage of sin. Sin, you have no more master. Uh, Romans six fourteen. it says, sin will not be your master for you're not under the law, but under grace. That's a promise. I can't tell you how many times that I've stood on the promises in order to keep the commandments. But if you, if you learn to stand on the promises to keep the commandments and you practice on the commandments, easier, they're much easier to receive. Keeping the commandments is the difficult part. In fact, it's almost it, virtually impossible in our, and it is impossible in our own strength to keep them. It, it must be the spirit of God and the power of the promises. Watch what Peter says about it. Now, if anybody knew what it was like to vow a vow of, I will always, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And then he denies him. See, just willpower alone won't, won't, uh, won't put us over. So look at what Peter said about it. Second Peter chapter one. He says, by which he has granted to us 
his precious and very great promises. Now watch this. So that through them, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption or from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So something, give me a bottle. Where's my bottle of water? Where's my help? One that's not used. Here it comes. There's my man right there. Look at that. Seal still intact. You see, the promises, you know, I was, if you told me in high school, if you just get some nails and grind them up in a blender and always put an egg, you know, whenever you're trying to gain weight, you had to put an egg in it, put an egg in it. I would have, I took anything possible to give me the advantage to give me strength. Pretty gullible. Then I started getting around people that really knew what they were talking about and they were showing me these sophisticated protein drinks and other things that really did help me. But there was something that I found that I could partake that gave me strength that I could not normally have. And see, the promises are like that. You partake, Peter says, through the great and precious promises. We partake of the divine nature. You see, I've got human nature. We're only human. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? And the human nature is going to go the way of all humans. And you and I are no exception. If left to ourselves, we are as predictable as any other creature. In fact, Peter went on to say that when you live by your instincts, you are a creature to be captured and killed. You know, you can set a trap uh, for an animal and you know the instincts of that, of that animal. And Satan, Satan is, has been tracking humans for centuries. He knows us. And you and I don't realize that this, this lion of Satan who seeks whom he may devour, he knows exactly what our tendencies are. And what he wants to do is to isolate us through pride and, and unforgiveness so that now there's no one walking with this. There's no one walking, watching our back. There's no, we're, we're our own judge and jury. We're in an echo chamber. We think we're okay. And that isolation, that separation, puts you in a very vulnerable place. Because now it's, it's hard to really tell individually that you're getting off course. It's hard to be your own judge. It's like that's why, that's why you don't judge yourself on American Idol. You know, there are people objectively saying to you things about whether you can or cannot sing. And you've watched people that go, well, that's not true. I, I'm a good singer. You can tell that there's something's off there. You know, so, so in the same way, we're not going to be a very good evaluator of where we are. I mean, you ask any man, how's your marriage going? Oh, it's great. You know, just wait till you ask the wife, how's it going? Two different evaluations going on here. Not all the time, but enough to know that at some point, I can't be the judge and the jury. I'm going to have to have some help. I'm going to have to have some people around. And so what happens is we get into this place, we get into this place of, of, of needing, needing something more than our own human nature. And, and that's why when we take in these promises, I remember sitting as a college student and hearing the promise of deliverance that I could be free 
that I didn't have to live in sin. I didn't have to live in bondage. I didn't have to live in perversion. I didn't have to have my mind confused with the images of just the darkness and the corruption of the world. That I could be clean. I see people sometimes come into church and they're, they're trying to worship. It's almost like they're so under torment. It's like they're trying to swat flies more than worship. Because what, what's going on inside of their mind is so tormentous, torment, uh, tor- tormenting to their mind that they can't be focused on something beyond uh, the darkness. The promises of God are there to cleanse our conscience. It says, how much more will the blood of Jesus cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The promises of God are there to be received. And that's why we go back and we'll close on this one. Stand to your feet. I want to read this while we're standing. Come on and stand with me, Pastor James. Ephesians 3.20. This is what we're building to in these next few nights. We're building to this kind of, of spiritual experience where it says this in Ephesians 3.20. It says, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Now, what we're trying to do is to get this power at work within you. Uh, The promises of God, when they get in circulation, if you will, inside of us, begin to give us the oxygen of faith. It begins to give us this sense of, of not just hope, but a sense of expectation. Come stand with me here. There's an expectation. There's an expectation that we're to have. The promises bring an expectation to us. <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're in faith, you expect something good to happen. You're waiting on something good to happen as if you're waiting on, like my son, waiting on that new iPhone to come. There was an expectation. He was, he was like a dog at the doorstep, just looking out the window. Uh, sorry if you're watching, I didn't mean to call you that, but that's just kind of what it reminded me of. There's an expectation that something's coming. When my dad called me when I graduated college and said, I bought you a car, I didn't hang up the phone and go outside and go, where is it? I don't see it. I trusted his word. And, and, and if a roommate of mine would have said, well, where are you don't have a car. I don't see any car. I go, well, my dad promised it. So no matter where it is, it could be on a boat in Tahiti right now. But he said it's mine, and so it's mine. And so we begin to build an expectation. Our prayer life begins to not just be throwing 50 prayers open and hoping two or three stick. Our prayers go beyond even our own needs because now we're so focused on the kingdom and righteousness that we're now praying for our neighbors and we're praying for our neighborhoods and we're praying for the city and we're praying for our mayor and our senators and our congressmen and and women and we're praying for the nation and we're praying for revival. And, And so we're so, and when somebody says, well, I haven't heard you even talk about yourself it all in your prayers, if they were eavesdropping, you go, well, that's okay, because I'm seeking the kingdom first and the righteousness of God for this nation, and, and my needs are already taken care of. My needs, it's on the way. God's already promised he's going to take care of me. And that's a, that's, a, that's a great place to be in to where we're not so self-focused that now we've got just, we not, we not only have faith for us and our family, but now we've got enough to give. I, I, there, there's a verse in Malachi. I want you to turn to it while you're standing, and I wanted them to kind of get an insight into us. But in Malachi, and I didn't tell people in the back this in Malachi, 
it says this, it says, in fact, of course, we, we read Malachi 3 and we think it's tithes and offerings, but there's, there's more to Malachi 3 than that. When you get to the end, when you get after the, uh, the blessing of, of giving and what he says he'll do in tithes and offerings in Malachi 3, after he says, you know, will, will the nation rob me and how have we robbed you? Then he says this, verse 13 of Malachi. Now, this is after the tithing. God says, your words have been, have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or walking or walking around as if in mourning before the Lord of hosts. In other words, God, we're just going around here, you know, repenting and, you know, I'm not pleasing God. What's the profit in all this? And he says, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Basically, God says, you've, you've been speaking wrong about me. You say there's no profit in serving God. What's the point of going around repenting all the time and trying to keep his commandments? And look at the sinners. They, get a, they, they don't seem to mind. They aren't in here on a Monday night, you know, trying to win in life. They just, you know, seem to just comes to them naturally. They seem to prosper. They can even curse God and get away with it. But look at verse 16. This is, this is our verse right here. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I, when I, make, up my, when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. Pastor James and I, whenever we get into a trial, whenever we get into a difficulty, we, we start speaking to one another. It says, then those who feared the Lord. In other words, when you're at your weakest moment, when everything in your mind is telling you, what's the point of all this? You better find somebody who fears God. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. You see, most of the time when you get discouraged, you go find somebody else that's discouraged and together y'all just pull each other so far down. By the time you get to talking, it, talking negative to one another, you have spiraled out of control. Both of you've gone off and done something crazy or encouraged one another to do that. But when those who fear the Lord speak to each other, and what did we say the last time we did this? We said, Lord, we thank you that you are writing down right now. Those who speak to feared the Lord spoke to each other and the Lord heard and wrote it down in a book of remembrance. And so that's when, that's when we get to pray in our greatest prayers. We get to pray in these prayers and say, Lord, we're in agreement. We fear you and we're both now trusting you that you're going to lift our people. You're going to meet these needs of this church. You're going to open doors and nations. You're going to heal bodies. And we, begin, and, we, and we just remind him, thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, you said you're going to write that down. You know, when you tell you, you, you want, when something's important, you say, did you write that down? The Lord says, I'm writing it down. When those who fear the Lord speak yeah. to each other, yeah, yeah. I have a book of remembrance. 
Father, I thank you for this book of remembrance. Give my friends, not only here tonight, but those who watch, a covenant partner who fears you. Yes, husbands and wives who fear you are the first, most uh, logical place to start. Lord, separate people from the voices of negativity and doubt. When one who fears the Lord and one who doesn't, and they begin to talk to each other, and they, there's confusion, and they, there's discouragement. Lord, there's, there's no profit in that. Those are the words that you condemn. But when those who fear the Lord speak to each other, Lord, we, we trust that you're the Son of God, that you died on a cross, and that you rose from the grave. That God Almighty, the creator of the universe, you became a man in Christ. You lived the life we should have lived and you died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, you rose from the dead, proving you're the son of God and you offer a promise of salvation and forgiveness of sins if we turn, repent and trust in you. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, that promise is for everyone who believes turns from their wickedness and turns in faith to you. Lord, thank you for the promises. Lance and Brock, come on up here on the stage and stand with us because you're part of this eldership team. Lord, I pray for these congregations that are represented here tonight, the Bethel congregations, and I, I'm asking that you would bring about a new sense of of faith and an agreement and connection. That we would begin to find one another in a greater way and begin to, to, to grab onto these promises together. Lord, not out of some just program that we have or life groups that, well, this is a life group. But Lord, give, give real life connections, relationships that people can connect to that can cause them to encourage one another you said, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, we thank you for these promises that lift us out of our, of our habits and addictions and sin patterns. Thank you for the promises that not only lift us out of darkness, but then bring us into a new place of provision and grace where we can have enough for ourselves and for everyone else around yes. us. And not just in physical things, but yes. in, in wisdom and grace. In the leadership positions that you've called us to, in schools or in government positions or in, in, yes. in, in, in as educators, whoever it may be, as moms or dads, as students. You give us a wisdom that according to the scripture is 10 times greater than the wisdom of this age. Yes. Like Daniel and his friends. Lord, may each individual person listening have a revelation of these promises. Y'all hold hands here. Let me step out. Y'all let the, each individual have a revelation of your, your promises spoken directly to them. Lord, we have promises to us as a people and as to a church. But Lord, there are specific promises to each individual. I'm praying that Men and women tonight, boys and girls tonight, can grab onto something that not only gives them hope, but changes their future. Lord, change the future for every situation that's hopeless tonight. Lord, tear up the script the enemy's given. For some of you, you've been reading off of a script that's just generationally 
been failure after failure and your parents read off that script and they fulfilled it. Maybe your grandparents did, but God wants to give you a new script. And when you read about this that God wants to do with you, you're gonna say, that couldn't be me, it's too good to be true. I can't be this. I don't have enough strength, I, I know myself. Listen, just read the promises. Read, read them to yourself until you believe them. Just keep saying them, keep saying them. Say, Lord, I don't, I don't, I, the more I say them, the harder they are to understand, but I, if you say this is me, I'm gonna keep trusting that this is who I am. Just keep telling them to yourself. Why? Because they're the promises of God. You've just been hearing the negative so long. You just have to give the promises of God a little bit of time. Faith and patience, you can inherit them. Lord, bring us as a people into this place of grace. It's a place of grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve any of these promises. Lord, visit these cities. Visit this country. Lord, people are giving up on this nation, but I pray you'd visit it, Lord. And visit it as we go out with the gospel, as we go out with lives that are healed and whole and hopeful. Lord, may we go out holding out the promise of not only eternal life, but abundant life. We have eternal life when we die, but we have abundant life now. Abundant grace, abundant forgiveness, abundant joy. Thank you, Jesus.